I remember back in my school days, we had those maps, not the 2D ones, but like the map of the U.S. where everything was raised up like a, a relief map in 3D, and you could remember looking at where my grandparents lived in Kansas, nice and flat, and then, you, but then you go a little bit further west, and the beautiful Rocky Mountains, and you can just touch them with your fingers, popping up off the off the desk, or maybe one of those globes, you know, the not the flat globe, the the the, the globes that had the 3D on them. You can spin them around, and you could like take a look at the Himalayans, right? What if what if the words of the Bible could be seen in 3D? Like like some of the passages or words could just pop up off of the text. In the in our passage that we have here this morning. Jesus is, he's hanging on the cross and he cries out these words that, that would, should just pop right up, uh, taller than Himalayans. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This Easter Sunday, we will look at these towering words of Jesus and we're going to seek to try to understand them, what they meant to Jesus, what they mean for us today. And in the end, I believe that we'll find them to be good news this Easter. Our passage comes from Matthew 27. It's printed in your bulletin. Jesus has already, as Matthew's written to us, been hanging on the cross for three hours. People have been mocking him, ridiculing him, making fun of him. But then something happens as he's on the cross in our passage, beginning in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Ali, Ali, Lema, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us. We thank you for all the details in it. They're important. They pop up off the pages uh, like a mountain. May we be able to have eyes and ears to see and make sense of them. Holy Spirit, may you come in a powerful way and give wisdom to all of us, we pray. Amen. Do you like a good meal? Of course, that's kind of a silly question, right? What I've come to understand over the years is, is that Scripture, that is the words of God, it's, it's, it's kind of like food for the soul. When we feed on the words of God, we are nourished, we are strengthened. But some meals are easier to digest than others. Today's meal is a bit hard. 
to digest. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The great Bible scholar F.F. Bruce, uh, one of the books he's written is titled The Hard Sayings of Jesus, and there's like 70 of them. And he says, um, he says, of all of those, this is the most difficult. Story is told of Martin Luther over 500 years ago. He was studying this text one day, and for hours he sat and he stared at it. He said nothing, he wrote nothing, but silently pondered these words of Jesus. Suddenly he stood up and exclaimed, God forsaken of God, who can understand it? And it's true, isn't it? God forsaken of God, the the father forsakes his son? Who can understand it? Well, we're going to try to feed upon these words this morning. And I think what we're going to come to see is that Jesus, the divine son of God, was forsaken by God for us. You guys ready? Got your napkins on your laps? All right. My guess is that most of us know what it's like to be forsaken. A good friend turns their back on you and starts saying malicious, evil, gossipy things about you. Or a husband or wife once stood at the altar saying they would stick by you in sickness and in health till death do you part, and now they are departed. To be forsaken, to be abandoned, to be rejected, it's a bitter pill to swallow. It torments the soul. And know this, Jesus is deeply, intimately familiar with abandonment. Just on that day, his disciples who were with him those three years, they're gone. They're scattered. They scattered once he was arrested. Peter denied him three times. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who knew that Jesus was innocent, he abandoned Jesus and he sentenced him to be crucified. The centurion and the soldiers... Um, they, they, they stripped Jesus naked. They nailed him to a cross. They gambled over his clothes right before his very eyes. The townspeople who earlier in the week welcomed Jesus as their Savior have now forsaken him. Some of these very townspeople are at the cross and they are, they're mocking Jesus. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. Even the chief religious leaders mocked him. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Come down from that cross if you really are the Son of God. Talk about abandonment. Jesus was abandoned by all of mankind. And if you were there, don't think you might not be a part of that. But none of that caused Jesus to cry out. No, he did not lift his voice against humanity. Instead, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was forsaken by all on earth, but none of that caused him to cry out on the cross. But then in our passage, we read that something dramatic happened. It began at the sixth hour. Jesus was crucified at the third hour. That's 9 a.m. At the sixth hour, noon, we read that darkness was over all of the land. Have you ever been in a cave, like far into a cave, and turn the lights off, right? Your flashlight, like darkness, right? Utter darkness. Now, this was no solar eclipse. How do we know that? 
Well, one, you remember the eclipse a, a couple summers ago in like August? I mean, if you were in the right place, and trust me, the Hamptons wasn't the right place. Um, how long did that last? Like two minutes, right? What we see here is this darkness was over the land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. That's three hours. We also know that Jesus was crucified on the day of the Passover. And the Passover was always celebrated on a day of a full moon. And it's impossible to have an eclipse on the day of a full moon. And so at noontime, when the sun typically shines its brightest, there's darkness, utter darkness over all the land. What's going on? Why darkness? Well, throughout Scripture, darkness is a sign of God's judgment. And so Matthew wants us to comprehend something. This is a sign that something is going on. He wants us to take a really big bite and, and chew on it and hopefully savor on it. In those final three hours on the cross, darkness and judgment came upon Jesus. But it was not a judgment that he deserved. Rather, it was a judgment that, that we deserve. Jesus willingly went to the cross as a substitute for us. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty that we deserve. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we need not be. And this is the good news of Easter. For some of this, this is, for some people, it's a little bit tough bite to swallow. I remember when I was in my 20s, I wasn't a Christian. I had some Christian friends, and I remember times when they would come up and they would say, well, Mark, Jesus died for your sins. And my, my, yeah, my go-to response was something along these lines. Well, I didn't ask him to, <laughs> you know? And why are you judging me? I'm not a, I might not be perfect, but I'm no sinner. You know, I'm no Timothy McVeigh or Jeffrey Dahmer. But the truth is, isn't it? None of us are the people we know we should be, let alone the people God has called us to be. When I consider all the sinful things I've done in my life, all of the selfishness, all the blame shifting, all the lies, all the lusts, if each one of those were like a grain of sand, I'm afraid there'd be no room in the sanctuary if they're piled up in here. If you're honest, how big would your pile of sand be? But check this out. The cross is God's way of saying, Mark, give me all that. No, I can't sweep it under the carpet. I cannot ignore it. But I am able to set you free from it. But first you must place it on my son. He will take the punishment that you deserve. Matthew is helping us to see that in the darkest hour of bearing the sins of the world, Jesus was forsaken by God. God cannot look on sin with favor. He must turn his eyes from it. He cannot gaze upon it. And so when Jesus took upon himself all the sins of the world, God turned away from him. When Jesus cried out, God did not answer. Now this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus addressed God as my God. Everywhere else he referred to him, he called him what? My Father. But here he says, my God. Why? Because the father-son relationship that Jesus and his father had enjoyed for all eternity was now broken. Now, I know it's impossible for us to wrap our heads around this. It's impossible. So don't even try, but try a little bit, okay? God is a trinity, okay? Uh, St. Patrick used to use a, a three-leaf clover to illustrate this. One clover three leaves. 
So there is one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And for all eternity, try to fathom this. For all eternity, because God never had a beginning or, or an end. For all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in perfect, loving, joyful, delightful communion. God, God is a happy, happy God. His, his existence is pure and joyful. And what we see here, though, is that God, the Father and God the Son, is they've always enjoyed this beautiful relationship that is until the weight of all the sin of the world was placed upon the Son. And then the Father had to turn away. Now, this is typically where some people put down their knives and forks and take their napkin and put it on the table and slowly push themselves away from the table. There's something about God being angry that makes people lose their appetite. I get it. I too used to be turned off by the depiction of God being a God who expresses anger. But what I came to do is I came to wrestle with my own hypocrisy. See, it was fine for me to be angry at people when they tick me off. But God, no. I used to get angry at even the most minor infractions. Like, how dare you cut me off in traffic, all right? Get ready for that one. It's coming in about a month. All right. But then I realized my own hypocrisy. Why are we allowed to get angry at the sins of other people, but God who made us in His image cannot? We get angry for all the wrong reasons. Is God not allowed to get angry for the right reasons? So I came to see that as a hypocrite, but I also came to see this, that if there is a God, He better be a God who gets angry. See, if you insist on holding some notion that God is loving and therefore never gets angry at sin or punishes us, that's really kind of a naive position to hold. See, love without justice is not love. If I say I love my daughter and yet don't seek justice for her when somebody bullies her, hurts her, if I don't pursue justice and seek to have justice done in this situation, can I, can I really say that I love her? No, the more you love someone, the more you are angry at sin and fight for justice. So if God is a God of love, and He is, then he must necessarily also be a God of justice too. He can never turn a blind eye to any sin. The, the problem is, we really, really want God to judge other people who tick us off or hurt us, but we never want him to turn his gaze towards us. But God can't ignore our sin, can't overlook it. But here's something I hope we come to see this Easter morning, is that on the cross, God's perfect love and his perfect justice meet for us. Now, some have a wrong view of the cross. They think that Jesus went to the cross to, to get God to love us. Uh, they think that, that, um, you know, that, 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 that Jesus had to somehow force God to change his opinion about us. But that's not true. Look at the most famous book in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Where is the emphasis? The emphasis is on the, the, the love of God, the Father that causes him to send his Son for us, to accomplish his work. And so, listen, when we hear 
Jesus in agony crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We should not just try to imagine what it was like for the son to be forsaken, but also, listen, how difficult it must have been for the father as well. What do I mean? Well, the father is is looking at his dearly loved son whom he had sent into the world to bring forgiveness to all the world and the world has brutally rejected him. God the father sees his beautiful, obedient, sinless son on the cross and his heart no doubt welled up in love for him, right? Can you picture that? There was never a time in all history when God the Father wanted to shout from heaven for all the earth to hear, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And yet at the very time when His Son says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father says nothing. Why did the Father, why did God not answer the son. Because of his love for you. He will not answer his son because he sent his son to take your place. If you would trust him, Christ will take your penalty for your sin. And, and so this is how much God loves you. He will not answer his son until all of his work on the cross for you has been accomplished. Process this truth. God doesn't just like you. He just doesn't love you somewhat. No, the fact that God would not answer his son on the cross as he died for your sins means that God loves you at least as much as he loves his eternal, divine, pure, sinless son. Try to chew on that. Well, in our passage, we see that the work is finished. In verse 50, we we read that, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. You know, Matthew doesn't tell us what Jesus said in those words, but John in his gospel records the words that Jesus said. His last words before dying, Jesus cried out these three words, it is finished. And then he yielded up his life. The words, it is finished, these are like a rich dessert for our souls. How do we know the work is finished? Well, do you see what happened with that curtain in the temple? Why would he even mention that? It seems kind of odd, right? Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What does this mean? First, it means it was torn by God himself. How do we know? Because a human being couldn't do it. The temple curtain was five inches thick and about 60 feet tall. We also know it wasn't done by humans. It was done by God. Why? Because Which direction was the curtain torn? Was it torn from the bottom to the top as if done by humans on earth? No, it was torn from top to bottom as if done from heaven itself. Now, why would God tear the curtain uh, curtain of the temple in two at the very moment that Jesus died? Because it was a sign saying, no longer is that temple needed. No longer will priests have to enter behind that curtain and come into my presence day after day, year after year, offering up sacrifices for sin because now there is a perfect once and for all sacrifice. And it's not an animal and it's not even a human being, but it's it's God in the flesh 
Jesus Christ. Matthew tells us of another miraculous occurrence. Verse 51, And the earth shook and the rocks were split. This is kind of crazy. And the tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep. See, a a believer in Christ is is someone who's when you die, you just fall asleep because there's an age to come. And it says that they were raised. And coming up out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to to many a... uh, (laughs) Jacob, good to see you. I mean, that's just crazy, right? Here's the money I still owed you when I died, right? I mean, that is just, no, I don't want to, don't touch me. All right. Earthquakes are scarce, uh, aren't scarce in Israel. Israel's on a, uh, near a fault line. Um, but dead people coming to life, that's a pretty scarce thing. But what is Matthew telling us? Well, the earthquake caused the tombs to open and some of the dead saints rose from the dead. But you notice they didn't come like out of their tombs and start walking around the city until when? Until Christ himself was resurrected. See that in verse 53? After his, that's Jesus' resurrection, Easter Sunday, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Matthew is saying on that first Easter Sunday, not only did Jesus rise from the dead, so did others. Why? God was giving us a foretaste of what is to come. This life you have, 60, 70, 80 years, isn't all there is. God has said eternity in your hearts. Why do you, why do you long for, to, 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 to live forever? Why do you long to be around people and you don't want to die? It's because we're made to live. Christ said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, um, though they perish, they, they, sh- they shall rise again and live forever. That's, they're not really going to die. They fall asleep. And so, Matthew wants us to see that because of Jesus' resurrection, there's something for those who trust in Him. We too who trust in Him will one day be raised from the dead. That's the good news of Easter. Jesus finished the work of redeeming us and now He's risen so that we too, by faith in Him, will rise to new life in the age to come that He promised would one day be here. Our story presents us two possible ways to respond to the cross of Christ. First, there was uh, what Matthew calls the bystanders. Remember, bystanders, remember reading about them? Jesus cries out on the cross, and they, Eli, Eli, they thought he were, they were calling Elijah, right? I can understand. They thought they were calling the prophet Elijah. See, in Jesus' day, there was a superstition that if you were suffering, you could call out to the prophet Elijah, and he could come, and he would rescue you or help you. And so what were the bystanders hoping for? They saw this as an opportunity for a spectacle, right? They're like, come on, this is going to be awesome. Look at this. They could care less about that man on the cross. But one person did. He felt he, he felt kindness towards Jesus. He went to give him something to drink because he knew he was thirsty. And what did the other people do? All of them said, no, we want to see if Elijah comes. Despicable, right? Horrible. There's God's very son dying for them, and they, they deny him comfort for their own sick appetites. That is not the proper way to respond. There's another response that day, the response of faith. Do you see it in verse 54? When the centurion and those who were with them, centurion's like a captain in the army, and these were soldiers with him. They crucified Jesus. Keeping watch over Jesus, 
saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. These are the same soldiers who earlier, like, brutalized Jesus, scourged him, ripped flesh off of his body. Blood was dripping. He almost, Jesus was almost dead by the time he went to the cross. These are the same guys who put that crown of thorns on his head and the blood dripped down his, his face all the way down his, his body. These are the same ones who mocked him with that sign over his head. These are the same ones that while he was bleeding on the cross, gambled over his clothes. These are the same Roman soldiers who had seen hundreds, if not thousands of people die in battle and die on crosses, but they'd never seen anyone die like Jesus, full of love and mercy and forgiveness. They were filled with awe, and they confessed the good confession that we must make. Truly, this was the Son of God. Perhaps you're here today kind of like that centurion. You've had a change of heart concerning the cross and what it, what it means for you. You've come to see that Christ has taken your place and, and that God's, that on the cross, God's perfect love and justice meet for you. Jesus was forsaken so that you, you need not ever be. If you delight in this truth, if you fed upon it, what are you to do? Well, the answer's simple. The message of the cross is, is it's not to, to leave here uh, trying to be a better person, right? The message of the cross is trust your life to Christ right here and right now. You can give your life to Him right here and right now as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. You can simply pray something like this. God in heaven, I, I see now that I need Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending Him to redeem me. I, I give my life joyfully to Him. Thank you for forgiving my sins and making me your child. Amen. Something like that. I mean, God's not particular. He wants a heart that responds with joy. You don't necessarily have all the right words. But pray that. And then come forward in faith and share this meal uh, with the people of God who trust in Christ. Christ has suffered for us so that we may have new life in Him. That is the message of Easter that we must feed upon and nourish ourselves. Let us feed on Christ this Easter morn. Let's pray. Father, we, we confess we still can't wrap our heads around what we've just read. There's so many gaps that need filling in. But I guess that's where faith comes in. Faith sees enough facts and responds. That's what we do this morning. We come to you in faith. Thank you. Thanking you for loving us so much that you would allow your son to save us. May this hope of Easter give life to our souls, we pray. Amen.